Well, indeed, it is uh, good to be back with you again this morning. It's been some time since the last time I was here, uh, but it is always a, uh, a privilege to come. I, I bring you greetings from uh, Christian Bible Church in Mohawk. They are worshiping the Lord this morning in spirit and truth. Uh, it is an exciting concept to think through how vast the body of Christ is and uh, how um, how many different places are worshiping the Lord together today, yet uh, separate from it. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 4. If you haven't already done so, open it there. I count it a privilege to open the scriptures and teach from them. It's not something I take lightly. Uh, and not, not just here this morning, but every time that I open them, realizing that what I hold in my hands are the very words of God. It's the very Word of God. It is the mercy-rich, grace-saturated breath of the Creator of the universe. These words are the words that God has given to us to guide us through life here in the exile. It is a, a lamp that illuminates our path. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the bread, the milk, and the meat that satisfies our hunger. And from its pages flow the rivers of living water. It is the sword that the Holy Spirit wields in our defense. And all of this is bound in a book that we hold in our hands. It is the Word of God, and it is indeed a privilege to hold it, to read it, and to preach it. So I invite you this morning to open your copy of the Scriptures of the Holy Word of God to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. The title for our sermon this morning is Born from This Text, Prayer That Shakes the Earth. So let's take a look at the Scriptures together, Acts four twenty-three, and I'm going to read down through verse 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, we come this morning and are opening your word. 
We come with a reverence to it, an understanding that this is the very breath of the living God. May we come to it with understanding that it is the instruction for our life. May we come to it with hearts and minds that are open and ready to receive it, to receive what your Spirit has. And we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would wield your sword this morning with power, power of conviction in our hearts, power to convert the soul, power to comfort and encourage. And we pray and ask that we would behold the glory and the wonder of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we look at it today. We ask this in his name. Amen. I think when we read something like this, or we hear the the title to a prayer week, or, or a title to a sermon that says something like, Prayers that shake the earth. When we come to that, we think, yes, hmm, that's what I want. I want to, I want to pray so that the earth is shaken. And yet, I think if most of us are honest, our prayers generally barely shake us awake, let alone shake the room that we're in. We struggle with it. And I, I don't want to come to to overwhelm you with something. Remember, I was asked here because you're looking for an average person. (laughs) An average Christian. (laughs) That's all that I am. I tell my congregation regularly that I am mediocre at best. So when I want, when I come to this and I'm like, yes, Lord, I want to pray so that the room shakes. And then I'm honest with myself. I struggle to pray enough to keep myself awake. So this kind of a thought can be daunting. How do we, how do we pray that way? Sometimes we hear quotes and we hear statements and I would encourage you to read Men of Prayer. Read E.M. Bounds. Lots of, lots of great Stuff written on prayer. Read of some of these prayer prayer warriors, these saints of old. But don't read to the point of discouragement. So I think sometimes we actually become discouraged and not encouraged when we look at it. We hear statements and quotes like that of Alfred Lord Tennyson who wrote, More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. And we say, yes, and that sounds great, but in reality we sit back and I think we get a little skeptic. Because we read we want to have prayers that shake the earth. We read of great things that have occurred. We hear statements like, there are more things wrought through prayer than this world can dream of. And yet we look around at the world and we wonder in the back of our minds, is that really true? Because we look around at the world and we see that it's full of evil continually. The earth is not shaken when we pray and the mountains are not being moved into the heart of the sea. Sin's grip on the world is strong. The enemy is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Cancer and sickness are reigning and death continues on. If we're not careful, we will grow cold and cynical in our prayer and weak in our faith. 
And we look for things to stir us up. But how quickly that kindled fire cools. Because I think we're looking with the wrong eyes. We utter the words of Scripture, like Mark eleven twenty two, and Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe, and you receive it. It will be yours. We say those things... And then we quickly qualify them. We say, yes, whatever we ask will be given to us if it's the will of God. Or we look at it and we say, yes, everything will be granted to us, but Jesus was speaking figuratively. Yes, everything will be granted to you, but only if you have enough faith. And of course, nobody has faith enough to move mountains. Some of that may be true. All of that may be true. But what we tend to do is we read a text of Scripture that talks about the power of God in prayer, and then we immediately gut it with qualifications. We gut the power of the text instead of believing our Lord. The early church believed the Lord. They prayed prayers that shook their room because they believed. They believed what the Lord said. So they prayed and the room they were in was shaken. But I contend that that's not what shook the earth. It wasn't the fact that the physical room they were in shook. I think there was a greater shaking that took place because they believed the word of the Lord and they prayed. Something much greater than a physical room shaking The earth shook with the power of the gospel of God and the salvation and mountains of sin were cast through the cross and into the sea because the early church prayed. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about. That's the kind of prayer I want to pray. That's the kind of prayer I want to believe in. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at this early church and I want to study the anatomy of their prayer so that we can pattern ourselves after them. I want to look at it and and see what it is and pull it apart and say, what were they doing when they prayed? Because that's how I want to pray. I want to look at the anatomy of their prayer. But I think as we start this morning... The first thing we need to do is look at a little bit of the background. And then, uh, and then we're going to look at four components of their prayer. The account uh, of this, this whole account actually begins back in Acts chapter three. Peter and John were uh, heading to the temple and on their way, they passed a 40 year old man who had, uh, who was being carried so that he could receive alms. He couldn't walk. He had been lame since birth. And he relied on the kindness and generosity of others to survive. And as the two apostles walked past, Peter looked and said to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The man then stood to his feet, and his legs were made straight and strong, and for the first time in his life, he walked. 
And then he went walking and leaping and praising God with the apostles all the way to the temple. By the time they arrived, a crowd had gathered and they were marveling at what had just occurred. So Peter, taking the opportunity with the crowd there, began to preach. And as he preached, the religious leaders came and they became angry. They became angry because he was preaching in the name of Jesus and he was proclaiming the resurrection. So they arrested both Peter and John and they kept them overnight. The next day they were brought before the court of the high priest and they were questioned about the power by which they had displayed this miracle. Where did it come from? And so what did Peter do to answer? He began to preach again. He again preached Christ. It comes from Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, who is now risen from the dead. And in Acts 4.11 it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men among which we must be saved. This Jesus that you rejected, He is now the cornerstone. And it's through Him and Him alone that salvation comes. At this point, the religious leaders didn't know what to do with Peter and John. They wanted them to stop preaching Jesus, but there was a crowd of witnesses there. And there was also this man who had been lame since birth that's now standing and still walking around and leaping and jumping for joy and praising God. So the religious leaders then instructed Peter and John to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They couldn't kill them. They couldn't incarcerate them. They didn't know what to do with them. They were afraid of the crowd, so they just simply sternly warned them, don't preach in the name of Jesus again. Don't even talk about it again. But Peter and John answered them, what, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. The religious leaders then threatened them one more time and released them. And that's where our reading takes place. That's where we come. They left after having been relieved, uh, released and they returned to the gathering of their friends. And as they arrived, Peter and John give them a full report of all that had occurred and telling them of the instruction that they were given to stop preaching and teaching and doing anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they finished their report, the people prayed. One of the great problems that the church has today is that we don't pray. We get together and we get the idea of the report. And so we come together for a prayer meeting and we report to each other. All the woes, all the pains, all the struggles, all the heartaches. And we share with each other. And precious little time is left, if any, for praying. We like the sharing and the reporting, but we don't pray. And if we do, it's the very last thing that we do. Not for the early church, because the early church was desperate. We're not desperate today. We're not desperate. You get sick, you go to the doctor, they give you a pill. I don't, I don't need to go to my knees and pray because I'm sick. I just go to the doctor and I get a pill. You, you run out of money? I don't need to come and pray. I just 
pull out that plastic card and put it on there and mysteriously I get the product. I just go and get another loan. We're not, we're not desperate. I go and get another job. The early church was desperate. Christ was their only hope. And He was their first love. They didn't waste any time in conversation. They went directly to praying. In part because they knew the threat was real. They knew that they were weak. They believed that God was powerful and God was faithful. So they prayed and the earth began to shake. The threat was real. Well, let's look at their prayer this morning and see what made it so powerful. I want to look at four components of earth-shaking prayer. Number one, whom they prayed to. It matters to whom we pray. It matters to whom we pray. Now, I know when I, when I say that, you're probably going to respond with something like, well, we are a Christian church and full of Christians, so when we pray, we pray to God the Father in the name of God the Son by the power of God the Holy Spirit. But I contend that many Christians are praying not in the name of the God of the Bible, but in a God of their own making. We have created a benevolent, moody grandfather. And we hope that he hears us, and we hope that he has the power to answer us. But earth-shaking prayers are not prayed to a moody grandfather. Earth-shaking prayers are prayed, prayed, to the, prayed to the God of the Bible. Look at how they addressed God at the start of their prayer. It says in verse 24, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, our father David, your servant, said, By the Holy Spirit, what, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and plan predestined to take place. That's a long segment to address God. In fact, one writer noted that they spent five verses telling God who He is and only two verses asking for what they wanted. We generally spend a great deal of time on what we want from God and precious little on addressing Him. We usually only give a word or two and a mouthful in our asking. What they did is they hallowed the name of God. And they hallowed His name in three different ways here. They hallowed the sovereignty of God as a ruler. They called Him Lord. And this is not the common word for Lord here. It's only used a handful of times. And what it refers to is absolute authority. Absolute authority. They were calling Him the Master. The one who has the authority of life and death. The one who is a ruler whose word is law. You can't take him to court because his word is law. That's the kind of master he is. It's not that you can appeal to something else and say, well, you were wrong. See, we don't understand that in our country. We can appeal the rule of our president. It's not law. 
They're calling him Lord. His word is law. There is no higher authority to appeal to. They hallowed his sovereignty as creator, noting that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. This is the totality of creation. God is sovereign over creation because he is the creator. He is the one that made it. Not just made the heavens and not just made the earth, but made everything in it. All of the creatures and all of the humans. That includes the religious leaders who were threatening them. God is sovereign over them because He is ruler. He is sovereign over them because He is creator. They also hallowed His name, hallowed Him in His sovereignty as ordainer. They recognize that everything is ordained by God, by His hand and His plan. Even the evil acts of man are ordained by the hand of God. Even the evil acts of man are prophesied by the Word of God. Here they quote Psalm 2, and they attribute its fulfillment to the brutal murder of Jesus. The nations are raging and they're gathering and they're plotting in vain. They want to overthrow God. They attribute this to the murder of Jesus Christ. Noting that the evil rulers raged and they plotted in vain. And instead of accomplishing what they wanted, they did exactly what the hand and plan of God had predestined to take place. The Holy One of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, conquered sin, conquered death, rose from the grave, and now He reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, even evil is not outside of the control or the plan of God. Oh, that more prayer would start by recognizing who God is. Spend some of your time praying this week admiring the character and nature of God. We are praying to the Sovereign. Second component of their prayer is whom they prayed with. Verses 13 and 14 tell us that it was their, to their friends that the apostles ran and together they prayed. There is a sweet nature about praying together a corporate unified cry for help. In describing this scene, Luke uses a very familial word that is translated by the ESV as friends. Other tra others translated as own companions. It literally is just simply own. He went to, they went to it to their own. Their own kind. Their own family. It's a very personal word. Well, this is the relationship of the church. We are a family. We are our own. Our own kind. We're unique. We're a peculiar people. Distinct from the rest of the world. We who were not a people are now a people. We have been brought together. Gathered together from every tribe and every tongue and every people group. And we are a new people. We are our own so when we gather together to pray, we're gathering with our own. 
And we are bound together by a bond that is stronger than blood and stronger than nationality. It is the church family, our own kind. And it was to the church family, their own kind, that they ran in their hour of need. And it is their own that received them and joined in their cry for help. The church today is marked by a sad state. We are weak because corporate prayer is weak. Prayer is the pulse of the church. It's the evidence that there is life. We have a weak pulse. Corporate prayer is sparsely attended. And I know, as I say that, and maybe there's a little tinge of conviction that stings your heart as to why you're not there, and it's quickly followed with a very valid reason. I know. We have very valid reasons as to why we're not able to attend certain meetings and times of prayer. And yet at the same time, we have no excuse at all. We have no excuse at all. This week, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. There's a meeting every night. I saw the list downstairs. There's a meeting somewhere every night. You're going to make one. There's one during the week. And I assure you, if you look at those lists and you say, there's nothing I can make, you come speak to your pastor and I, I'm confident he'll, he'll arrange another one. Or there might be somebody else and you could set up your own time and say, I can't make any of those, but I'm going to make it here. You've got no excuse. Gather with the body of Christ. You see, we're simply not desperate enough. Peter and John were desperate. The family of Christians they were with were desperate because they knew the threat was real. They believed it. We don't believe the threat is real. We just don't believe it. Earth-shaking prayers occur when we pray together with our own. Third component of their prayer is what they prayed with. And they prayed with faith. Now, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time here because this is so directly linked with whom they prayed to. Remember, they are praying to the sovereign ruler, the creator, the ordainer. Not only are they praying to him, they believed. They believed that he who rules all things, he who has created all things, he who is ordaining all things will answer their requests. They believed it. Before they were praying, they were in fear. The threat they faced was very real. The rulers indeed wanted to kill them. And not only did they want to kill them, they could kill them. Remember, it was just weeks prior that they killed Jesus Christ without cause. They knew that their lives really were in danger. And when they said, Don't speak in that name anymore. Don't do any signs and wonders in that name. Don't teach about that name anymore. They knew the threat was real. And there was no doubt fear in their hearts. I think sometimes we raise these people up and we say, ah, those guys were amazing. Those people were people of like passions. And I'm confident when they hear that threat that things ran through their mind. Like, my wife could be widowed. (laughs) My children could be fatherless. 
if I go on and preach. If I mention His name. I'm sure that there was a tinge of fear that crept into the back of their mind. So what did they do with their fear? They turned it to faith by recounting the nature and authority of God. Their faith was strengthened by their prayer. As they addressed who God is, their faith began to grow. By the time they finished recounting the glory of God, they were ready to make their requests known to God. Perhaps we don't pray with faith because we don't remind ourselves of who it is that we are praying to. And so often we pray with mouths full of excuses and exceptions. We pray things like, We know, God, that You can answer if You want to, if it is Your will. We don't lack faith in the ability of God to answer. We may not even lack faith in the authority of God to answer. But we do lack faith in the probability of God to answer. Well, be reminded, brother Christians, of what Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 1. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is a God who is an active God holding everything together. He will answer our prayers. Remember what our Lord said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Don't gut that. Believe it. By faith. When they prayed, they believed in the ability of God and they believed in the promise of God to answer their prayers. And by faith, they made their request, a request that would shake the earth. This is the fourth component of their prayer, what they prayed for. Look now at verse 29, and you'll see the request. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their hearts and grant your, look upon their, their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Here's what they prayed for. We want to continue to speak your word and we want to do it with boldness. When faced with a fiery trial, I think many of us come to it and our first response, even when we go to prayer, is to pray for deliverance. We're so accustomed to this model of prayer and this expectation of deliverance from any pain that we don't bother to pray for boldness, to pray for endurance. How do I know it? How do I know that's true? Because it's evident in what we pray for. The bulk of our corporate prayer time is spent on the sickness and the ills of the congregation. Yes, pray for one another when we're hurting. Pray for sicknesses. But what we pray for when we pray is that God would heal us and God would deliver us from it. We are like the crowd that tasted the bread and the fish of our Lord and then they desired more. God, Christ on the mountain, fed thousands. Takes the boat across the streets, across the sea. And the pseudo-followers came wanting more bread. 
And Jesus responded in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for, for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. See, we pray for food that perishes. Lord, I'm, I'm sick and I want to I be healed in my body right now. That's a food that perishes because I've got news for you. You're going to die. The death rate remains consistent. It's 100%. We want temporal deliverance when what we need is boldness to endure for eternity's sake. Persecution, suffering, hardship, they are all part of life in the exile. Read the Scriptures. You'll see it. It's part of life in the exile. Read the book of 1 Peter. It's part of life in the exile. Our prayers should not be for deliverance from them, but boldness to complete our mission through them. Remember our mission? It's to take the gospel to the end of the earth, to make disciples of every nation. This is what the early church was praying for. And this is the prayer that shook the earth. They prayed for boldness. And they received it. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Remember, the threat they faced was real. It was real. As you follow the early church through the book of Acts, you will see time and again persecution raining down on them and the gospel growing up in the midst of it. Acts chapter 5, the apostles are again arrested and again they preach the gospel. Acts chapter 6, Stephen is giving the gospel and accused of blasphemy. Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches and he is stoned to death. Acts chapter 8, Saul begins to lead persecution that results in the gospel being spread. Acts chapter 9, Saul is converted to the apostle Paul. Acts chapter 12, James is killed by Herod. Peter is again arrested and sentenced to death for preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The threat was real. And while the persecution continued, they continued to pray and God gave them boldness and they continued to speak in spite of it. And the Gospel spread. When Stephen died, the Gospel spread. When James died, the Gospel spread. They prayed for boldness and God answered their prayer and it shook the earth. Christians boldly suffering for the sake of the gospel. You want to pray a prayer that shakes the earth? Then come together this week and start praying for boldness. Boldness to share the gospel. The threat is real. Certainly across the globe, the threat is real. There are more people martyred each year now than there have ever been. Killed 
for proclaiming Jesus Christ. We don't face that threat, but we face a real threat where we are warned. Lose your job. Be cut off from your family. It may cost you. Pray for boldness through it. Through, through sickness, through pain, through suffering, through struggle, whatever it is. God, give me boldness to continue to proclaim Jesus Christ in the midst of the storm. So when cancer is raining down on me, that I would not buckle and crumble under my flesh, but I would continue to proclaim that Jesus Christ is my only hope. And I wouldn't waste my cancer. When death falls on your house and you are grieving, don't be crushed by the grief, but grieve with a hope in knowing that the sovereign God who has created all things is ordaining all things and He is working it together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Hold on to those truths. Believe them. Pray for boldness to walk through those trials. When you find out you're going to lose your job because you're a Christian, don't collapse and say, oh, I'm going to feed my family. The righteous are never left begging bread. Pray for boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel and watch God shake the earth. Oh, how the Capital District needs a bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs to be shaken. Oh, that the Lord would do that. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. You are our Father. We are your children. Not stepchildren left outside, but we are your children. And we cry out to you as Abba. You are sovereign, the creator, the sustainer of all things. You are holy and righteous beyond measure. You are beautiful beyond all things. You are glorious and magnificent. You are right and you are good and Every good thing comes down from You and only good comes from You. May we trust in those truths. May we cling to Your Word and believe it. And may we have boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ in our word and in our deed. May we have boldness to live lives that are obedient to You. And may You be glorified as the righteous and holy God that You are. We ask all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.